Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Sermon this morning has a twofold text. First from Romans, just a portion again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then from Matthew 14. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. See our text. Well, earlier this month, and a once very familiar name in St. Louis was in the sports headlines again. Isaac Bruce had been voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Quite deserving, I suppose. I'm guessing quite a few of you remember his name. He was part of the St. Louis Rams' greatest show on turf. Remember that? That was a lot of fun. Those are good memories. But I remember Bruce for another reason, for an incident that happened off the field. A few of you might remember this one as well. It happened in December toward the end of the 1999 season, the season that the Rams would actually go on to win the Super Bowl. Bruce was driving back to St. Louis from Columbia, Missouri, when a tire blew out and sent his car spinning and rolling off of I-70. And amazingly, Bruce walked away from the crash without a scratch. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but he was driving a Mercedes. But Bruce did not credit his safety of being saved with his car or even with his abilities to drive very well. Actually, it was widely reported that for Bruce, it was all a matter of faith. One story from CBS put it this way. He said he knew he'd be fine when he shouted, Jesus, as the car began to, began to spin. Then he took his hands off the steering wheel and waited for the chaos to end. Bruce himself added this quote, I knew I was healed and I knew I'd be protected and that was it. And then Bruce offered some spiritual counsel. These are his exact words. The moral of the story is to yell out, Jesus, when you're in trouble. That's what I tell everybody. So there you have it. When you're facing a crisis, yell, Jesus, let go of everything, and you'll be just fine. At least that's the way that Isaac Bruce saw it. Now it's possible that you are a little uncomfortable with his advice. I know that I am. I mean, it's great that people pray to Jesus and that they expect him to help. 
but is the essence of faith really that you yell out Jesus when you're in trouble and then he comes to the rescue? I bristle at the trivialization and the almost magical sense of this idea. And Bruce may have been a great receiver worthy of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame of Theology. Faith isn't magic, is it? Faith is trust. Faith is knowing about God's truth. Faith is a relationship between God and creature. Faith is cultivated and careful. Faith follows certain pathways and progressions. Faith comes through God's means and through God's men. Faith is what Paul was talking about when he wrote his powerful words that preachers need to preach God's word because, as he puts it, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul's words have always been the great inspiration for missionaries and pastors and all those who support them. It's also logical and methodical. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul makes it clear that it's all about preachers of the gospel and making sure that they are sent. That's reasonable and manageable and sensible. These are words that justify institutions like seminaries and the millions of dollars it takes each year just to keep a single seminary open and training people to be faithful preachers. And so this reading from Romans is all about pastors and how they form people in a faith that is deep, thoughtful, and serious and not magical or superstitious. But is Paul really just talking about pastors and making a case for seminaries the way that some of the advancement material would make us believe. Actually, when you work the progression of ideas backward to Paul's central thought, you don't arrive at pastors as the center. In fact, pastors are not the point of Paul's thoughts. Pastors are only the necessary beginning. Yes, there has to be a man to preach. But that, and that man has to be sent. But what's next? Well, there has to be someone to hear what is preached. And then even more importantly, there has to be someone who believes what is heard. That's the point of Paul's entire argument. What he's interested in, what he wants, is people who believe. The reason Paul wants preachers is so that there can be believers. Paul's main concern is not with the making of a gospel worker or the sending of a preacher. His interest is not in the people being called and sent to deliver God's good news. No, Paul's driving concern is with the people who are coming to faith because the pastors were sent. The goal of Paul's exhortation is not, not a called pastor. The goal is calling people. That is, people who are calling on God as Savior and Lord, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Paul's point. His great desires for people calling, not a pastor, but calling on God. This text is about call day, not a spring day at the seminary when men are called to go and preach and not a special voters meeting to choose a pastor. 
but a day when people call on the Lord and are saved. You see, it was call day that night when Peter was called by Jesus to leave the boat and come to him on the waves. You remember how that story ended. Peter calling out to Jesus and being saved. Call day. There's a lot that we can learn from that story. I mean, call day did not come easily to Peter. In fact, all through the Gospels we read about Peter's struggle to come to terms with his need for what only Christ could give. Peter did not like having to call out for help. Calling for help meant that he was unable. It meant that he couldn't do it. It meant that his pride was wrong. And Peter struggled with that mightily. He struggled with pride again and again. Think about it. It was pride that prompted Peter to take the devil's side and rebuke his Lord when Jesus had started talking about his coming rejection and execution. It was pride that prompted Peter to declare that he would never fall away from his Lord. It was pride that led him as he swung a sword and lopped off the ear of Malchus. And it was pride that got Peter into trouble that night on the Sea of Galilee. Pride, you see, is the enemy of faith. Pride kills faith. Pride inflates a person's self-obsession and leaves no room for anything or anyone more important or more pressing than self. It pushes out everything else, including faith, including Christ. Pride focuses on self. Faith focuses on Christ. They can't coexist. So the beginning of faith must always be the death of pride. That's what Peter learned that night on the windswept, choppy waters of Galilee. But understand this. When Peter crawled over the edge of the boat to walk to Christ on the water, it wasn't pride at work. Now that was faith in action. The idea might have been nothing more than impetuous, unthinking enthusiasm on the part of Peter, but once he was on the water because Christ had called him, it was all about faith. Peter was looking at Christ and trusting what Jesus would do. And as long as Peter kept looking there, he was walking in faith. He was walking on water. But pride came back and got him. Pride made him think about himself and what he was doing. Instead of thinking about Jesus and what Jesus was doing, pride made Peter question everything. He was putting his life in the hands of someone else. He was at the mercy of another. What was he thinking? What was he doing out of the boat on the water? As his thoughts of self-absorbed pride grew, faith was pushed out and fear flooded back in. Peter felt the fear and then he felt the water give way beneath his feet. He went down. Pride sunk him. That's when the night on the lake became call day. All too clearly, Peter saw the reality of his own inability and the failure of his own pride. You see, pride can't do much, actually. It can't walk on water. Pride can't even swim. Sinking in the waves, Peter was in trouble, and he knew it. There was only one place to look. Lord, save me. 
and he did. Jesus reached out his hand and lifted Peter up and brought him to the boat. When Peter called, Jesus answered. When Peter called, it was faith that was at work again. It wasn't thought out. It wasn't calculated. It wasn't planned or crafted. It was immediate and real and visceral. He was drowning. He needed help. He called. Jesus answered. Called they. Pride died. Faith flourished. So, what's the difference between the desperate cry of a helpless, on-the-verge-of-death apostle and the desperate cry of a helpless, on-the-verge-of-death wide receiver? Is there a difference? Actually, there's a remarkable degree of similarity between the two, isn't there? Perhaps Isaac Bruce was a better theologian than I had thought. Maybe Bruce actually stumbled onto a profound truth. And maybe the thing that bothers me about his story is not what appears to be superstition or shallow theology. Maybe the thing I don't like is the unnerving simplicity and the glaring clarity that Bruce's story brings to the issue at hand. Hands off the wheel, tumbling out of control at 70 miles per hour, disaster looming, death rushing in to claim life, no options left, no hope, nowhere to turn, nothing left to do but cry out, Jesus, Lord, save me. That is exactly what it means to call on the Lord. And I don't like it. Well, at least there's a very significant part of me that does not like it. I'm honest, I have to admit I don't like the thought that the heart of faith demands being so utterly out of control, so hopelessly at the mercy of someone else, even if that someone else is God. I can't deal with a theology reduced to such gut-wrenching, mind-numbing, crude forces. I want my theology to be balanced, refined, nuanced calmly articulated and nurtured in a classroom, not a theology torn out of me by primitive human terror and the crisis of the moment. I would rather not be reduced to such simplistic, humiliating pleading. I want to be better than that. But the sinful creature's anguished plea to a holy God is never calculated or clean not when it's the cry of faith. It is desperate, pathetic, and offensive. Ask Peter about that, or ask Job, or ask Isaac Bruce. When it gets right down to it, calling on the Lord always looks pretty much the same. Helpless, hopeless, doomed humans pleading to God for help they don't deserve. It is the same for every one of us flat on your face, begging for God's mercy. It always comes down to that. Always. Job knew it. Peter knew it. Paul knew it. Isaac Bruce knew it. And clean, cool, controlled, capable, and confident Christians today, they need to know it too. Nothing can be allowed to get in the way of call day. Not propriety, not pride, 
and not one's cherished notions about God and religion. It's called a today. It's time now to take your hands off the wheel, look to Christ and pray, Jesus, save me. Lord God, help me. That's what it means to call on the Lord. And that's the point of our text. That's what call day is all about. And when all is said and done, when life is out, out and life is over, when everything that once was lined up and in order is scattered in chaos, then only one call day will matter. The one where you give up on yourself and your ability and you call on the Lord. The one where pride dies and faith flourishes. Don't lose track of what this Christian faith is all about. Yes, we want to care for those around us. And yes, we want to serve people. Yes, we want to build bridges to the community and we would love to watch people come in droves to fill this sanctuary and to sing the praises of this exceptional congregation. But none of that, not a bit of that, is what Christianity is all about. What it's all about is people turning to Jesus in faith and calling for his help. Don't ever forget where this all starts. It starts with call day, your call day. Don't ever get so occupied with being God's gift to others that you forget about your fundamental need simply to receive God's gift to you. You need what Christ gives. He gives it here and now. It's call day. Call on him and you will be saved. Amen. Lord God, hear us when we call out to you and help us humbly to receive the grace you freely give. Amen.